Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about atomic spying and the FBI. The Russians tested their first A-bomb in 1949. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were arrested in 1950 and executed for conspiracy to commit espionage in June 1953. We know now that Julius was a spy, but we also know he did not give the secrets of the A-bomb to the Russians. That was the work of other people. And the FBI knew that. So why did the FBI go after the Rosenbergs instead of the person they knew was the real spy. His name was Ted Hall. He was a brilliant young physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project and gave key atomic secrets to the Russians. The FBI investigated him, but never charged him with a crime. He moved to England in 1962, where he became a distinguished scientist at Cambridge University and died in 1999. He had an older brother who was also a brilliant scientist who worked on rockets. His name was Ed Hall. The FBI was interested in him too. The question has always been why the FBI focused on Julius and Ethel Rosenberg and her brother, David Greenglass, rather than on the real spy, Ted Hall, and his brother, Ed. Now that story has been told in The Nation magazine by Dave Lindorf. He's an independent journalist who writes on the Cold War and on climate change and other issues. He spent six years as a correspondent in China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan for Business Week. And he was the winner of the 2019 Izzy Award for Outstanding Independent Journalism. Dave Lindorf, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. Well, first of all, tell us about young Ted Hall and how he got hired by the Manhattan Project. Well, Ted was such a brilliant guy that he actually went to college at 14. He went, his brother, who was 11 years older, uh, at when Ted was four, told his parents that uh, he was taking over his bro younger brother's education. And he did. He had him doing higher algebra, you know, as a grade schooler. 
he went to Townsend High School, which was this magnet school for geniuses. Ira Gershwin went there. Uh, Felix Frankfurter went there. I mean, there's a lot of very smart people went there. And at any rate, Ted got bored with uh, going to Queens College at 14. And his brother, who by then was in the army and stationed in England, said, well, uh, why don't you apply to Harvard? Ted did. And he got admitted as a junior physics major. When he applied, he was 16. And then uh, Oppenheimer wanted to get, uh, you know, they were rushing to get the bomb built and they needed more scientists. So he contacted Van Fleck, Professor Van Fleck, John Van Fleck at Harvard and said, do you have any like brilliant young guys that we can hire to, to join the effort and help us do this? And he said, well, yeah, we got a few. And there's this one guy that you really need to hire, Ted Hall, who's, who's just absolutely brilliant. So they did. They hired four guys, two uh, graduate students and two undergrads, the youngest being Ted, who when he was actually interviewed, he was still 17. Uh, when he was offered the job, he was 18. He went in January uh, by train and went to Los Alamos and, and got there January 28th. And uh, Ted got put on a uh, project helping to refine the implosion device of the plutonium bomb. And how important was the information that Ted Hall uh, gave to the Soviets compared to what David Greenglass gave to Julius Rosenberg? Oh, vastly more important. There were two people who gave almost everything, a roadmap to the plutonium bomb. And one was Klaus Fuchs and the other was Ted. Klaus Fuchs was arrested by the British. He confessed and he was sentenced to how many years? Four, 14 years. He got Four. off after nine in a spy trade. Ted's material was not as voluminous as what uh, Klaus Fuchs gave. Klaus Fuchs gave a lot of the theoretical stuff, uh, but he didn't actually have the hands-on knowledge of the implosion core, which Ted was actually testing. So he knew exactly what worked. And he gave that information to the Soviets because the Soviets got two separate streams of information about this bizarre plutonium bomb idea. They had the confidence that they weren't getting tricked. And so they decided to go all out with the plutonium bomb and forget about trying to refine uranium and make a uranium bomb. That's a huge project, as the Iranians can tell you. Um, so they uh, focused everything on the plutonium bomb, and they made a perfect copy of the Nagasaki bomb because they had the whole roadmap. And it was Ted that gave them that confidence because neither Ted nor Fuchs knew each other, uh, was a spy, and the Russians knew that. So the Russians had the confidence to build their bomb. So the FBI knew about Klaus Fuchs, how did the FBI learn that Ted Hall was a spy? Ted was actually the first spy to be identified by name in the Venona cable decryptions. And he was identified first as Malad, which meant young one, because his courier was his roommate at Harvard, named a guy named Seville Sachs, who was called Star, which is old one, because uh, he was a year older than Ted. Those two were identified, and then because they included Ted's name in one of the decrypts, uh, Hoover assigned a whole bunch of 
this was in 1950, early 1950, he assigned a whole bunch of offices around the country to find Ted, because Ted had already left Los Alamos by then, at long, long before he left in uh, the end of 45. So they finally located him at uh, University of Chicago, where he was working on a uh, PhD in biophysics. You know, that's when they put the full press on him. But they very quickly also identified his older brother, Ed, naturally, who turned out to be a major in the Air Force working on a top secret missile engine project at Wright-Patterson Air Base. You know, you just imagine what Hoover thought in 1951. My God, I got two of them. And then it all fell apart. And I, and that's what I found out why. I first learned about Ted Hall from an important book called Bombshell by Joseph right. Albright and Marcia Kunstel. That was published in <clears throat> 1997. They um, interviewed Ted Hall in England before he died. What did he tell them was his motivation for spying? He said he was hired and took the job because they explained that they needed to get this bomb because they were afraid the Germans were going to get it. This was in January of 1944. But very soon after that, towards summer, the Germans were in retreat in Russia, and it was clear that they were going to lose. You know, everybody knew by mid-1944 that it was just a matter of time before Germany was, Germany was going to have to surrender or be defeated. So a lot of the scientists at Los Alamos, including major people like Niels Bohr and uh, Joseph Rotblatt and Leo Szilard and, and even uh, Oppenheimer were thinking, you know, we really don't need this bomb to be used. You know, Oppenheimer wanted to make it. Some of them wanted to stop. Rotblatt quit. A lot of them thought Russia should be in on this. Like Niels Bohr, he thought bring in the Russians. Ted thought bring in the Russians too. And the U.S. didn't want to do it. They were keeping them completely out. So Ted got more and more alarmed and thought, wow, the U.S. coming out of this war with a monopoly on the bomb is a disaster for the world. Uh, and he was right. I mean, clearly we know how the U.S. behaved after the war without having a monopoly. They killed millions in Vietnam, in Korea, and everywhere else. They would have done much worse if they had no opposition from the Russians having the bomb. But that was his motive, was like, get rid of the monopoly. Now we need to talk about the older brother, Ed Hall. You are the first investigative reporter to get hold of Ed Hall's FBI file. That's the focus of your uh, new story in The Nation. Tell us about that FBI file, how you got it, and what the FBI did when they learned about the two brothers. Ted made a tape with his lawyer, uh, he, the, the British uh, equivalent of William Kunstler is Ben Birnbaum, still alive at 91 or two. He was Ted's lawyer in after 95 when he came out. He had suggested that Ted make a tape explaining what he did and why. When he was asked, why do you think you never got arrested? He said, well, it's possible that they didn't want to uh, you know, ruin my brother's work because the, the, he was like the key missile guy. He designed the Minuteman. And he also made the motors for the Atlas and the Titan. He was the head of the ICM, ICBM development program, Ed was. If the FBI had arrested Ted and McCarthy got a hold of that, it would have proven his theory about communists' infiltration of the military, right? Even though Ed was not a communist. I mean, obviously they would have thought, 
you know, the brother of our ICBM program is an atomic spy who gave the Russians the bomb. So anyway, I, you know, I saw that and I thought, God, I got to find out what, what happened with Ed, you know, because because they obviously the Air Force had to have been told. Right. So I applied for the for the file. The FBI said we don't have a, a file on Ed Hall. Well, that's um, ridiculous. And I said, that's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> on the appeal sent me 103 pages on Ed. And the first thing in the file was a letter from Hoover dated January 6th, 1950, to General Joseph F. Carroll, director of the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations. I looked up Joseph Carroll. It turned out he was he had gotten hired into that job from a position at the FBI as the main uh, person in Hoover's office, the main assistant. He, had, he was an Irish Catholic working class guy in Chicago who worked his way through Loyola Law School and joined the Air Force in, and the, the FBI in 1940. I actually called Joseph Carroll's son, who's a columnist. He's a priest named James Carroll. He said, uh, yeah, I'm an I'm a ordained priest. I'm in the Berrigan branch of the priesthood. <laughs> and, he, and he said, I said, would your father have stood up to Hoover? And he said, my father revered Hoover, but uh, he would have not hesitated to stiff arm him if he tried to interfere with the prerogatives of the Air Force. So, you know, that seems to be it. So, so the first letter, Hoover says, I'm writing to tell you that we're investigating an atomic spy named Ted Hall, and I want to inform you that his older brother, Ed, is a major in the Air Force working at a top secret project on rocket engines at Wright-Patterson Air Base. We would like to investigate him at the earliest opportunity. So they knew as of January 6, 1950, in the Air Force, that there was this connection. So did he get permission to investigate Ed? Well, not really quickly. I have a letter from Hoover, a second letter, March 27th, where he writes, you said that you're going to conduct your own investigation into whether Ed Hall might be uh, inimical to, his position might be inimical to the interests of the United States. And he said, we, our investigation of Ted Hall has advanced to the point where it's urgently important for us to interview Ed. And so he did get permission, but not urgently. He didn't get to have Cincinnati FBI offices investigate a question Ed until June 12th. That's three months later than the March letter. And shortly after that, Ed was promoted to lieutenant colonel and put in, uh, made a co-director of the engine project. And then in 1954, he was made director of the whole ICBM development project. So, you know, obviously the Air Force believed that Ed was not a spy. And obviously they stopped the Ted Hall investigation because Ted was called in by the FBI. Uh, Ted got three hours of, of very intense grilling and threats. He denied everything and they got up and walked out. And they said, we want to see you again on Monday. He came in on Monday. He said, I don't have anything more to say to you. And he got up and left again. And that was the last time he was questioned, Monday, the 19th of March. On February of 1950, both Savvy Sachs and Ed, uh, Ted rather, were taken off of the special file 
for you know immediate arrest in a crisis and monitoring phone taps, mail covers, all that stuff stopped in February of 1952. So obviously Hoover was told, you can't arrest this guy. You can't do anything public about him. And it never leaked out that he was a spy. So we have two amazing brothers. We have the teenage spy who was a prodigy in physics and helped create the plutonium bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki and really did give those secrets to the Russians. And we have his older brother who was not a spy, but was a brilliant rocket scientist who developed the missiles that could deliver nuclear warheads in an attack on the Soviet Union. We've wondered for a long time, how come the FBI focused on the Rosenbergs? And you have found the answer. The Air Force needed Ed, the older brother, so they couldn't arrest the younger brother, Ted, the real spy. This was really a kind of a turf battle, as you describe it, between the Air Force and the FBI. Meanwhile, the FBI already had a confession from David Greenglass saying that he had given the secret of the atom bomb to his brother-in-law, Julius Rosenberg. The Rosenbergs were active communists. So the FBI could put on a big show trial and J. Edgar Hoover could claim that he caught the people who stole the secret of the A-bomb, even though they knew the real guilty party was a free man because they had lost this turf battle with the Air Force. Ed Hall, never a spy, in fact, was honored for his work for the Air Force on nuclear missiles. Tell us about that. Yeah, when he, when in 1999, long after he'd retired, he was named uh, to an honorary position in the uh, the Air Force uh, Aerospace Museum in Colorado as a pioneer in, uh, you know, missile and and satellite technology. America's nuclear arsenal is back in the news, you know, this month. Remind us uh, what's going on right now. Yeah, every president has to review the U.S. nuclear posture and develop a, a plan for how we would use nuclear weapons. And, and so right now, Biden's ab- about to issue it, maybe by February. And um, 700 so far, uh, physicists and Nobelists, Nobel laureates, have written a letter to him saying that he needs to act to move forward on denuclearization. And they've proposed that he should cut the US uh, active warheads to a thousand from the current 1500 are unilaterally to get things going. And they're saying that he should say that uh, the US will change to a policy of no first use of a nuclear weapon in any crisis. And, and this is what Ted want, you know, wanted. So, I mean, this is really right up his alley. He, he hoped that this would happen. Dave Lindorf's report is titled Brothers Against the Bureau. It appears in the new issue of The Nation magazine. Dave, thanks for this fascinating work and thanks for talking with us today. Well, thank you for having me on. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.